As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Again, everyone, this is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today, you guys, it is episode one hundred. Can you believe it? Uh, we'll have a little special announcement surrounding that after um, we get into things a little bit. But first, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been tuning in and listening to this podcast and writing in to leave a review. So today I've got an epically awesome review, listener shout out to share with you from Caitlin. So Caitlin writes, Nurse Mo has guided me through pre-nursing and will continue to through nursing school. I am very anxious about school, but somehow Nurse Mo's calm, cool, and collected way of presenting information has made me relax and encouraged me to know that I will get through this. Nurse Mo is a wealth of information, compassion, helpfulness, and kindness. I haven't even met her, and I know that she encompasses all these amazing qualities just from listening to her podcast and being on the Facebook group. Do yourself a favor and join her on all platforms of social media. You will not only learn, but also be empowered through her kind posts and frequent reassurance that we are all in this together. Thank you, Nurse Mo, for being the amazing nurse educator, social media guru, and podcasting genius you are. You have no idea how your dedication to nursing students has positively affected so many of us. Caitlin, thank you so much. You, wow, you went above and beyond with that review. So I just wanted to give you a quick shout out and say that you are definitely not in this alone. I, for one, am cheering for you and hopefully providing you with resources and information and the reassurance that you need to not only survive nursing school, but thrive in nursing school. Okay, you guys, so let's get into it. Today in episode 100, we are going to be talking about taking care of patients who've had a thyroidectomy. So one of the things that I really just love the most about being a nurse is that I learn something every single time that I work. And I've been doing this for about how many years now? Don't make me do math on the fly. About nine, ten years. So a good long while here. And it's just a reminder that this is a career, a profession that really appeals to those people who love lifelong learning. And so whenever I go to work, I'm always excited about what could I learn today? It's always going to be something. So recently, I got to take care of a patient who'd had a thyroidectomy. And so I learned a lot about taking care of patients who've had their thyroid removed and wanted to share that information with you guys. So first, let's talk about why someone would have a thyroidectomy in the first place. So One of the most common reasons is 
because of thyroid cancer, but it can also be due to things like the presence of thyroid nodules. Maybe they have a large goiter. They have a very severe hyperthyroidism. And if you guys want to learn more about hyperthyroidism, then go check out the post on the website about that. And there's also a podcast episode about it as well. But in the old days, when thyroidectomies were done, it was kind of a dangerous surgery. There were a lot of risks, um, but there's been a ton of improvements in the surgical technique and complications have reduced drastically. Blood loss has reduced drastically. And these days, it's a pretty, pretty common procedure that has good outcomes overall. But these patients still do require specialized care assessment and monitoring. So we're going to go through the care of a patient having a thyroidectomy using the straight A nursing latte method. So if you guys haven't been introduced to the latte method yet, I think you're going to love it. So let's get started. So the L in the latte method stands for look. How will this patient look when they have just left surgery and they've had a thyroidectomy? So after the procedure, the patient will leave the surgical suite typically with a dressing at the anterior of the neck. I know some surgeons will use like a, just a dermabond, but for the most part, you'll have some kind of a dressing at the anterior of the neck and an incision that's about five and a half centimeters long for a total thyroidectomy. It could be a smaller incision if they've done a partial thyroidectomy. If they've had to go kind of looking around for any other nodules, any other um, possible cancers in the neck area. There could be a larger incision, but just know for the most part about five-ish centimeters for total uncomplicated thyroidectomy. Um, if the patient had hyperthyroidism prior to surgery and you were taking care of the patient maybe in that pre-op area, then they could have a goiter. So if you guys haven't seen a goiter, it's pretty recognizable and they can be significantly large. So um, just go check out you know, like Google image goiter and you'll you'll get a feel for what it looks like. It's basically a bulbous swelling at the front of the neck. So before surgery, you may see a patient with a large goiter. And then after surgery, just that simple, tiny dressing on the anterior of the neck. The A in the latte method stands for assess. How will you assess this patient who's had a thyroidectomy? So I want you guys to always be thinking about what your patient is at risk for. So if you've got a patient who's had a neck surgery, what are you going to be thinking about top of mind? Okay, I hope that you're thinking airway. So anytime there's surgery, inflammation, risk of bleeding around that airway, I want you to be thinking about airway protection and making sure that that patient has a patent airway. After thyroidectomy, there can be all kinds of airway problems like a collapse of the trachea. They can get a lot of mucus accumulation there. They could have laryngeal edema and uh, paralysis of the vocal cords. And any one of those things can cause a sudden respiratory failure. Many hospitals will have a protocol 
for their thyroidectomy patients that you keep a tracheostomy tray at the bedside for a certain period of time, like maybe 24 hours after surgery. Um, that's not always the case, but if you do see a tracheostomy tray um, nearby where your patient is recovering or in their room after surgery, then know that that's why it is there because of the risk for sudden airway um, collapse, airway failure, and they may need a rescue tracheostomy. You also want to be really watching that surgical site very carefully and very closely for hematoma formation, which could become so large and so severe that it impedes that airway, it impedes the patient's ability to breathe. So you're going to be watching for that. Patients can hemorrhage from that surgical site. So... Um, and that can hemorrhage with or without hematoma formation. If they're hemorrhaging underneath the skin, then that hematoma is going to form. They could hemorrhage through the surgical incision itself. So the bleeding would be exterior. And I also want you to make sure that when you're assessing for that hematoma formation or you're assessing for any bleeding, that you palpate the back of the neck as well because the blood, depending on how the patient is positioned, but that blood can pool there in the back of the neck as well. So making sure that your assessment includes both the anterior and the posterior. Okay, another common complication that you're going to watch for after your thyroidectomy surgery is hypocalcemia. And that's due to potential damage that, damage that could be inflicted on the patient's parathyroid gland with this surgical procedure. So when you're thinking about the assessments for that hypocalcemia, you think about the things that you would monitor for, right? So one of those is assessing for that Jovstex and that Trousseau sign, as well as any other signs of tetany or any laryngospasm. So as a reminder, to assess for Jovstex sign, and if you guys haven't started school yet or haven't gotten into your adult assessment course, don't worry about it. You will learn this. But Jovstex sign is... When you tap on the patient's facial nerve, and if you see a twitching of those facial muscles, that indicates that their Chavstek sign is positive, and this is indicative of hypocalcemia. And then Trousseau sign is another way that you can assess for hypocalcemia without doing a lab test. You take a blood pressure cuff and you inflate it. And as that blood pressure cuff is inflated, you observe the patient for what's called a carpopedal spasm. So you'll see their um, wrist hand kind of spasm. And if that, that is present, that is also a sign of hypocalcemia. Okay, so another complication that you want to be assessing and watching for in your patient is possible damage to the accessory nerve, which can occur with this, with this surgery. And what happens when that accessory nerve is damaged is that the patient won't be able to shrug their shoulders effectively. So a simple, simple assessment that you can do in that post-op period is simply ask the patient to shrug their shoulders. Very easy. And most patients do just fine. But if there was some difficulty with that or one side shrugged and one didn't, you would want to definitely let the surgeon know. Okay. And then let's go back real quick to hypocalcemia because I forgot to mention that if your patient is at risk for hypocalcemia, which any patient who's had a thyroidectomy definitely is, you would want them to be on continuous 
ECG monitoring because of the way that electrolyte deficiency can lead to some serious arrhythmias, okay? And then thyroid storm can occur, which I know you're thinking, but wait, didn't we take the thyroid out? out. Um, thyroid storm is a risk both during and after the procedure if the patient is having the thyroidectomy for hyperthyroidism. Um, it's just a result of that gland being manipulated so much during the removal that the storm can happen and it can even be a little bit delayed. So the signs and symptoms of that, you know, I talk about it at length in the hyper hyperthyroidism podcast, but it's things like uh, in tachycardia, pretty, pretty significant tachycardia, hyperthermia, an altered level of consciousness, nausea. Those are some of the common symptoms of that thyroid storm. And that's a medical emergency that you would want to deal with right away. So if you're curious about that, go back and listen to the podcast on hyperthyroidism. And of course, we still have more things that we're going to watch for. See, I told you these patients really require specialized care. So we can also have laryngeal nerve damage in these patients. And to assess for that, you want to assess the quality of the patient's voice. So if they're hoarse, more hoarse than what you would expect after surgery. Patients are sometimes a little bit hoarse just from the endotracheal tube being present or the LMA or whatever kind of airway they had. Hoarseness that is more significant than that or if they have difficulty forming sounds. This could be an indicator that that laryngeal nerve was damaged. Um, in addition to that nerve, you can also have a hypoglossal nerve damage and that is assessed by having the patient just extend their tongue and if they're able to do that midline, no problem, without any deviation to the side, then the nerve is likely to be intact. So let's just real quick go through those items again because I realized there were quite a few. So for assessing the patient, you're watching for bleeding. You're watching for the hematoma formation. You're watching for any indications of airway collapse or airway failure. You are also watching for hypocalcemia. You know, you can do the quick flicking of the facial nerve to test for the Chovstek sign, or as you take their blood pressure, watch to see if they have that carpopedal spasm. If you see those things, you would definitely want to talk to the MD about getting a calcium level. You would want them on ECG monitoring to assess for any dysrhythmia that could occur with a hypocalcemia. And also, if the patient goes into thyroid storm and you would have severe tachycardia, you would want to be able to monitor that as well. You also want to ask them to shrug their shoulders, which is going to assess that accessory nerve and have them stick their tongue out to test for any damage to the hypoglossal nerve and then assessing the quality of their voice to ensure hopefully that the laryngeal nerve was not damaged. And then throughout all this, if the patient did have surgery for hyperthyroidism, why Watching for signs of that thyroid storm, that tachycardia, that high temp, nausea, and altered level of consciousness. Okay, so let's move on to the first T in the latte method, which is what tests? What tests are going to be conducted on this patient? What would you anticipate the MD ordering? So typically, a serum calcium level will be ordered routinely. 
for your patient after they've had a thyroidectomy, and they may monitor that for a little bit. If it's not ordered, you definitely want to ask for that, especially if you see a positive chopsticks, a positive trousseau sign. If the patient had a partial thyroidectomy, you would anticipate probably collecting blood for thyroid hormone levels. You want to see how their hormone levels were affected by that partial removal. And then prior to surgery for hyperthyroidism, that patient is probably going to be taking medications to help prevent that thyroid storm from occurring in the procedure. So ideally, these patients' thyroid levels are normalized before surgery, and that helps prevent that thyroid storm during the procedure. Okay, let's move on to the second T in the latte method, looking at our patient with thyroidectomy, and that is treatments. What treatments will you anticipate providing to a patient who's had their thyroid removed? So after surgery, one of the very first things that you would do as the nurse, you know, considering that there's not any other contraindication, is that the patient would be sat up in high Fowler's position. And that's going to help prevent any excess edema from forming in that area and to minimize bleeding and oozing from the incision itself. Patients experiencing those low calcium levels will likely receive calcium gluconate, some IV calcium replacement, and Pain medication can be used. Sometimes patients don't have a lot of pain. They may just get by with an ice pack. So you will be treating their pain as well. Okay, so that was high Fowler's position, calcium gluconate given IV if they are having hypocalcemia. And just a note about giving calcium gluconate, it's a pretty slow IV push. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say it's at least 10 minutes. So it's kind of a long one to put in. So just be very careful when you're giving it that you know the administration time period for that. It could be longer depending on how much they're getting. When I say 10 minutes, that's I think that's for just one gram. But again, don't quote me on that. I'd have to have my farm guide in front of me and I don't. I'm just speaking off memory, which as we all know is not perfect. Um, but just know this is not going to be a fast IV push medication at all under any circumstances. The only time we give calcium quickly is during a code situation. So just know that if you're giving calcium gluconate to a patient, IV, it's going to be given slowly. And then you would be giving pain medication or applying ice to that area. And sitting up in that high Fowler's position to help reduce that swelling will also help uh, reduce the pain associated with the surgery. Okay, and then moving on to the E in the latte method is educate. What kinds of things are you going to be educating this patient about as you prepare them for discharge? So let's say your patient has had a total thyroidectomy. That patient will need to take thyroid replacement hormone for ever, for life. That's typically levothyroxine or brand name Synthroid. That medication must be taken on an empty stomach. Typically, very first thing in the morning is how most people take it. Um, if you want to read more about hypothyroidism, because now this patient that you've treated for um, 
maybe they had cancer, maybe they had hyperthyroidism, and you took out their whole thyroid, well, now they're hypothyroid. So they are going to need a lot of education surrounding that. And of course, I have a podcast and blog blog post about hypothyroidism as well. So check that out if you're interested in that topic. I take levothyroxine myself. I've mentioned it before. I'm super cranky about it. I don't like taking medications. And the hardest thing for me taking this medication was taking it on an empty stomach first thing in the morning because I have a routine, you guys. I like to get up and have my amazing bulletproof coffee and start my day that way. I don't want to wake up and take a pill and then have to wait an hour or whatever. I think it's at least an hour before I have my coffee. So what I do is I have my little pill bottle on my bedside table and I typically will wake up sometime in the morning, you know, 4.35, 6, before I actually have to have to get up. And I'll take my pill then and then go back to sleep. So yes, I realize I'm not taking it at the exact time every day. It's probably an hour, you know, variation either way, but I'm okay with that. Um, the problem is that when I take it, I'm half asleep. And then I'll wake up later at like 6.30 and think, did I take my pill? And it really started to freak me out initially because I thought, well, I don't want to take it twice because, you know, the days run together sometimes and you just, you know, I'm a little fuzzy in the morning. So what I started doing was I would just take one pill out at night and set it in the lid of my little pill container. And then I would take that one pill at five in the morning or whatever time I happened to wake up. And then when I would wake up again at 630 or so, and I my little pill cap was empty, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I took it already. So little tip there for you guys, if you have to take levothyroxine and it's making you... um second guess yourself so you don't accidentally take two doses. That would not be good. Okay, so after a total thyroidectomy, that patient's going to basically be hypothyroid and need education about the medication they'll need to take for life for that. And the patient will also want to monitor for signs of hypothyroidism. Maybe their Synthroid dose is not adequate for them and they're still hypothyroid. So some of those key things that they would want to assess themselves for would be significant lethargy, brain fog, hair loss, weight gain, um, a hoarse voice. And um, there's several others which you can read about in the hypothyroidism uh, post or on the podcast. But those are kind of the main ones. They also need to be aware of signs of hyperthyroidism. What if their Synthroid dose is too high? Well, then they will be in effect, hyperthyroid, even though they don't have a thyroid, but the symptoms and signs will be the same because they'll have too much thyroid hormone. And again, that's tachycardia, anxiety, the patient could feel very restless. And again, I have a lot more information in the hyperthyroid podcast and blog post on that as well. Now, if the patient has that parathyroid damage, then they will probably be taking calcium supplements as well. And they want to be able to recognize signs of hypocalcemia. So you'll be teaching around that as well. Okay, you guys, so that's it in a nutshell. That is how you take care of patients after having a thyroidectomy. And we'll do a little pod quiz here in a minute. But before we get into that, it is the 100th episode, which I 
so excited about. And we're almost at a million downloads, you guys, which we'll have to do something else when we get to a million downloads. I can't even wrap my brain around that. Um, But let's just talk about the 100th episode. So as you guys know, I have the nursing student planners, which are amazing. And they are available now in the Etsy shop where we sell them. And they start in May and they start in July. That's for the printable ones. The digital version that works on your iPad, that's just a July start or a January start. But anyway, in celebration of those being available and getting you guys ready for school and being super organized and our 100th episode, we've got a 30% off special happening through the end of May 2020 on those planners in the Etsy shop. So the discount code is 100. No, sorry, I take that back. The discount code is celebrate 100. So the word celebrate and then 100. So when you go to Etsy and you put the planner in your shopping cart, when it asks for a discount code, type in celebrate 100 celebrate 100 and you'll get 30% off. So yay, that's how we're celebrating the 100th episode of the podcast. So the Etsy store is at etsy.com slash shop slash straight A nursing. You can just go to Etsy and look for straight A nursing. I will link to it in the uh, episode notes and also on the blog post that accompanies this podcast. So I will write out this whole latte method for you guys in a blog post as well. Okay, so as promised, let's do some pod quizzing with this, you guys. I know you really like those. Okay, so if you don't know about pod quizzes, I'm going to ask a question, pause, and give you time to answer. So it's like doing flashcards with your ears. Okay, are we ready? So let's say your patient had hyperthyroidism prior to surgery. What assessment finding would you possibly anticipate? Yes, that would be a goiter. Very, very good. Okay, so I want you to name the biggest risk for a patient after a thyroidectomy. What are you watching for the most closely? Yes, hopefully you said airway, airway patency, airway collapse, airway failure. Any of those things are absolutely right. You're absolutely keeping a very close eye on that patient's airway. After your patient has a thyroidectomy, why would you care about assessing the back of their neck? That's because the blood can pool there, especially if the patient is lying more supine. So what position would you ideally have your patient in after thyroidectomy? That would be a high Fowler's position. Excellent. Very good. How would you go about assessing your patient for a positive chopstick sign? What would a positive chopstick sign indicate or be? Okay, so a positive chopstick sign would indicate hypocalcemia, and it would be a twitching of the facial muscles when you flick on that facial nerve. How do you assess for trousseau sign? 
Very good. You guys are so smart. So to assess for Trousseau's sign, you inflate that blood pressure cuff and then observe for a carpopedal spasm. And if you see their hand, wrist, fingers kind of spasming, that is considered a positive Trousseau's and that is indicative of hypocalcemia. Okay, what other kind of monitoring would you want to have for your patient because you think they're at risk for hypocalcemia? Very good. You'd want them on the ECG monitoring so that you could watch as well. If your patient was hyperthyroid and that's why they got the thyroidectomy, what condition are you watching to happen or hopefully doesn't happen after surgery? What condition are you monitoring for? Very good. You're watching very closely to see if that patient goes into a thyroid storm. And what would be some of the signs of a thyroid storm? Very good. So it's going to be a tachycardia. Maybe their temperature will rise. They could have nausea. They could have a change in their level of consciousness. Very, very good. Okay. So let's say your patient has had their partial thyroidectomy. What kind of labs are you going to anticipate getting on that patient? Probably maybe not right after surgery, but maybe the next day and in the coming weeks. Yeah, that patient's going to need their thyroid hormone watched very closely, like the, the TSH, the T4, all of those things. They want to have those. You're going to be keeping an eye on that. And then let's see. We talked about the high Fowler's position. What is the medication that the patient will get if they have hypocalcemia? That is calcium gluconate. And how is that administered? If you said very slow IV push, you are absolutely right. Sometimes it'll be in an IV piggyback medication. It really just depends on um, how it's ordered and how much is ordered and over what length of time that you're giving it. I will say giving a medication over 10 minutes as IV push is kind of a drag and kind of hard to do um, with any kind of consistency. What you know, some people do is they'll push a mill. Um, let's say it's at uh, like a 10 mil. I forget how many mils it is for a gram of calcium, but say it's 10 mils and then they would push one mil and then wait a minute and then push another mil. It's really hard to do that. So a lot of times, um, what I would typically do is I would take my calcium gluconate and put it into one of those little IV bags, those little, um, tiny ones and put that in as a piggyback over, um, the recommended number of minutes. Um, anyway, that's just one way to do it. Whether that's the best way, I'm not sure. That's just my way. You would always want to defer to your hospital policy, your MD, your pharmacist. The key here is that you don't give it IV push fast. Okay? Okay. That's only in a code situation that that ever occurs. Okay. So let's see. Da, 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 da. What would you want to assess for your patient if they've had parathyroid damage? What assessment finding or lab finding? So yeah, that's that hypocalcemia. If the parathyroid has been damaged, you're definitely going to be watching for the hypocalcemia. And then if your patient had a thyroidectomy and you want to check for their hypoglossal nerve being intact, how would you do that? 
Very good. That's just having them stick their tongue out. If it's midline and they have no trouble, fine. If it's deviated or they have trouble moving their tongue adequately, that is going to be a sign that their hypoglossal nerve has been possibly damaged. How do you assess for damage to the laryngeal nerve? You just want to listen to the quality of their voice, their ability to form uh, sound, and any hoarseness that could be present. And then the other nerve damage that can occur is the accessory nerve. So how would you assess for damage to that nerve? Very good. You're simply going to have them shrug their shoulders. Okay, you guys rocked this pod quiz. Very, very good. So I think that will do it for us today. Thank you so, so, so much for spending your precious free time with me. And next week, you guys, let me tell you what we're going to be talking about next week. Next week is episode 101. Ooh, it's a good one. We'll be talking about heart blocks. So if you are learning about heart blocks, maybe you're in your advanced med surge course, or maybe you're doing some clinical hours in telemetry or in the ICU and you're all a little bit uncertain about first degree, second degree type 2, third degree heart blocks and how you tell those apart, we're going to go through it in a super simple and kind of fun way. So I'll see you back here next week. Have a great week, you guys, and keep those reviews coming in. I absolutely love hearing from you guys. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation, and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.